Hi everyone, Chris here, and I might sound a little bit different because I'm recording this not in the studio, but in my bedroom because, you know, social distancing. We originally recorded this episode a little more than a week before it's now about to be released, and so much has changed between then and now that it seems idiotic not to at least acknowledge that. So I hope all of you are okay and taking all of the necessary precautions to protect yourselves and the vulnerable amongst us. I also hope that this episode serves as a nice distraction from this crisis. Deep throating is an amazing skill if you don't know what to say. <laughs> when I'm doing a show with someone, sometimes eventually I'll be I'll kind of get like dirty talk block. I found that I can just like shove a cock down my throat and they are so impressed and so overjoyed and I don't have to say anything. If you ever need like an icebreaker at a party, <laughs> grab the nearest dick or dildo and just 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 shove it down your throat. That was Angelica V, the first cam model I spoke with for this episode. And though the second part of that advice was Mostly a joke, I think. Angelica's deep-throating skills are an integral part of her brand as a cam model. Um, and I did go viral for deep-throating recently, which has given me a lot of that traffic, which I'm very happy about. Where did you go viral? I went viral on Twitter. I did this porn parody video. Um, the caption was, virgins in porn be like and then I'm acting all cute and innocent and like oh my god what do I do with this I've never done this before and then I just rammed a dildo down my throat like I've seen that video yeah that was me <laughs> it, it's so funny everyone's seen that video I was at a party recently and um since my friends are all lovely and accepting in my career they were asking what was going on in my life and I was like oh I just went viral for dildos and someone asked me to describe the video and I start talking about it and someone from like across the room pauses and they go, wait, that was you? <laughs> I've seen that. The video in question is currently the pinned tweet on her Twitter account, which we will link to in the show notes and at sexwithstrangersshow.com. Angelica is the youngest performer I spoke with for this episode. I'm 23. Officially, I am 21, mostly because I have a baby face. So if I say I'm 23, they don't believe me. So um, I think 21 goes over a little bit better without saying that I'm porn 18, because I don't really like that. Not that I think there's anything wrong with doing the porn 18 thing. I just think that like I like relating with people and I like telling stories from my life. And it just doesn't really fit in with like the 18 year old persona. Right, like plenty of 18-year-olds are still in high school, which yeah, just isn't your life. Which I feel so far away from. <laughs> but yeah, I started when I was 21, and I'd been working a food service job since I was like 17, was making no money, and I was never one of those people who had like a dream job. I've always been work to live, I love freedom, I love traveling, I love moving around, and um I never really found anything that fit that lifestyle. And in the back of my mind, I'd always been aware of the adult industry. I always thought that I would get into porn or something like that. And um, when I was 19, I developed foot problems. I have hypermobility in my feet, which leads to like um, basically foot deformities, okay. which is super fun. 
Um, it sounds like a blast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was actually, I was talking to my foot doctor uh, the first time I saw him, and he literally called his assistant in. I was like, she's only 19. Look at her feet. Look how bad she walks. I was like, oh, good. <laughs> so um, over like the course of the next two years, I slowly started to lose mobility. I still consider myself able-bodied, but it's the kind of thing where if I work on my feet all day, like I'm not going to be able to walk home afterwards. So uh Clearly, I had to start to get into something else. So the idea of working in adult industry came back to me, and I looked into porn and found it wasn't really going to give me the lifestyle I wanted. I didn't want to wake up early in the morning for shoots. Um, Was that the main thing? Yeah, I hate waking up early. I am such a night owl. I love, like, rolling out of bed at, like, 3 p.m. It's, like, it's like 4-something right now, and I'm like, ew, it's early. <laughs> <laughs> I should be asleep. But yeah, camming was kind of the thing that gave me the lifestyle I wanted. And I've always been kind of a sex nerd. Like, I've always enjoyed educating people about it. Uh, not that the sex industry is always that educational. <laughs> but it, it can be. It can be it anything, can be. really. Which is kind of the beauty of it. Like, it can be super over-the-top porny, or you can stop and educate guys and be like, no, me sucking on a dildo will not give me an orgasm. Um, <laughs> The world, the world's your oyster. I mean, there, there are those people who sort of, like, they think themselves to orgasm. I am so jealous of those people. Like, if I could just be sitting down and just come, that would be amazing. It's too much effort. But, like, you get some exercise out of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Camming is actually, like, really good exercise. Like, part of the reason I got, I got a fuck machine is I got tired of, like, dildoing myself with my right arm all the time. Um, it's like you get carpal tunnel or yeah. like what or dildo no. tunnel. No, seriously. Um, the other day I had a custom that was like 20 minutes of like clit rubbing and at the end my wrist hurt. It's like, you know, people who work for Amazon or something and mm -hmm. they're doing the same movement over and over again for extended period of time. It, it wears on you. Yeah. It's kind of a weird balance of camming. Um, <laughs> I was talking to one of my friends uh, recently and he was making fun of me because I was talking about how like how long I can work in any given night depends on like the ratio everyone's interested in in like all of my various holes and orifices like um, if e each hole gets its time in the spotlight right exactly ideally but like I had a night the other night where like literally every show the person wanted deep throating and like after a couple hours of working I was like shit my throat like I my throat feels awful but like if I work for a couple hours and like I do like I, I get half the people wanting like vaginal shows and the half wanting deep throating and then some people wanting anal like that's totally fine but if, if everyone like suddenly fixates on one orifice you you're gonna get kind of tired what when you're interacting with people on the site what do you see and hear from them? Like, is it mostly just text box? So by default, they type to you. Um, there is an option to open their camera and you can do audio or no audio. In a private, I'll usually let people open their cameras but I won't do audio. In exclusive, I'll let them turn on their audio. Most people will still type though. I find that for some reason, people don't want to talk even if they open their camera, which I kind of like because... Um, Usually clients don't have good cameras or mics, so I can't understand what the fuck they're saying to me. <laughs> and so sometimes when you're putting on your shows, you're seeing mm -hmm. what you're, the impact you're having. Yeah. 
how like what percentage of the cases is that? Maybe like forty percent or fifty. Okay. How is that different from just like the chat box? I do think it helps you connect a little bit better, and you can also see their responses, which helps. Sometimes it's a little bit awkward. Um, I get certain clients who um, don't want to show their dick. They just want to show their face. And most people, when they're like watching something and masturbating, they give you like the most dead-eyed expression you've ever seen. The dead-eyed guys kind of kind of make me anxious because, you know, I want to do a good job. I want them to be happy. I want them to come back and have a good time and leave a good review. So if you're going to turn on your camera, you should show your dick. Is yeah, what you're show, me your, show me your dick is what I'm saying. Not Not in my Twitter DMs, though. Please stop that. Okay, okay. We, we, we need to be very specific in, like, the context for dicks. Like, not unsolicited dick pics. We're talking just live cam experience. If you want to be on video, then you need to bring your dick to the table. So speaking, speaking of dicks in my DMs, I made, I, I made such a mistake recently. I created a horrible game of penis roulette because um, Twitter won't load images people send you until you click on them. And I recently tweeted that I would like people to stop saying me dick pics and start saying me pictures of their pets. So there are always all these unopened pictures in my inbox. And I don't know which are cute baby animals and which are penises. Angelica started camming about a year and a half ago on Chatterbait before moving to Streamate.com a few months later. I imagine doing this the, the the last year and a half has had some really high highs and some really low lows. Oh, yeah. Like the highs and lows of this industry are insane. Like for me, um, it really fixed a lot of my problems. Like like I didn't have any other skills, you know, like I felt very stuck. You know, I was working on my feet all the time and making no money and making my foot problems worse. Like I'm going to need to get more surgeries. And my doctor said I could probably wait until I was 30. And because I worked more years on my feet, like. It's going to be more like 25. Like, I felt like I was literally ruining my body. And now I make way, way more than I did back then and way more than I would in any other path that would be accessible to someone with my background. And I can travel. I can take time off. Sometimes I take a week off because I'm really into a hobby and, like, I can afford to do that. And that's amazing at my age. Like, no one else I know has that freedom. Like, the highs can be really amazing. And like the lows can be too. Like sometimes you get online and you do your best and no one wants to pay you. I remember on my chatterbait days, like I could make like hundreds of dollars one night and then get on the next day and be on for five hours and make five dollars. And that feels like shit. I feel like every time you have a bad night, you, it's so easy to go in the spiral of like, oh no, like my time in the industry is over. I'm going to have to go to college. <laughs> like something's wrong with me. Because I, I think with sex work, it's very easy to get money and ego all tangled up in fun and complicated ways. And, you know, like I won't deny that there is a lot of, um, like it can be a lot emotionally. Like, there's a lot of emotional give. Because, like, in the end, no matter how, like, crass and, like, explicit it all seems, even if you're just, like, shoving a dildo down your throat, like, there is still an emotional connection there. That's still what people want. That can be really draining at times, um, especially if you want to have, like, enough leftover for, like, yourself and, like, the important people in your life. Like, that has been one of the big struggles. Well, like, most clients are, like, perfectly wonderful people like you'll always have people who have fetishes that are hard for you 
like for me, like, like we've said, I'm a very young, young looking person. Like I get all the pedophiles and I'm not saying I get the sex offenders. I'm not saying they've acted on it. I'm just saying that like, that's what they're into. And that can be really hard sometimes. I've had this conversation a couple different times with people Mm -hmm. across sort of different things. Most, most recently when I was in Berlin and I was, I was talking to someone who had done phone sex for a long time and she she put it within just like the age play framework Mm -hmm. where it's just like well this is just age play so like i do want to make clear like i don't think there's anything wrong with consensual age play um it's just that like sometimes like sometimes something about will skeeve you out like the way they approach her the way they say especially if you can see their face and hear their voice like i once had a guy like creepily whisper his fantasy about like being my dad and coming into my room and like it was like this whole non-consensual thing and I had to just like block him but um I think that like I think um when you have a job that's so vulnerable you have to know how to sort of emotionally distance yourself from like anything anyone might say to you because it's not you it's not your fault they're just projecting fantasies onto you so for me, I've learned how to just block and move on. Like sometimes you need to take a minute. Sometimes you need to take a night if something really hard happens. But I think it's just important to learn how to sort of disconnect from the bad stuff because people are who they are and it's not because of you or the things you do or the way you look. Angelica's approach to camming is on the more explicit side of the spectrum. And one of the reasons this works well for her is that it attracts an audience and fan base that is less interested in a lot of conversation. They want a hardcore show. And that's exactly what Angelica wants to provide them. But as she said, her job is still emotionally demanding at times because webcamming at its core is about personal connection. Viewers are often looking for much more than sexual release. Some are seeking friendship, while others want more of a virtual girlfriend, and still others, whether consciously or unconsciously, want someone to fill the role of a therapist. Here's Miss Lollipop getting into why the latter is more common than you might think. So one thing that men do a lot, and I'm, I'm generalizing here, but I, I don't think it's an incorrect thing that, that we know that men are told that they're not supposed to talk about their feelings, right? And going to a therapist isn't manly. And because of that, what you will sometimes find is a lot of men turning to sex workers instead when they really should be seeing a therapist because they'll, they'll book something sexual and then it turns into, actually, I just really needed to talk. <laughs> Um, there's definitely people that have severe depression or severe problems that really need more support from mental health professionals that I find coming to me because they can't talk to anyone else in their life about it because I'm, I'm sort of this semi-anonymous stranger on the internet, right? And they have this connection with me, but I'm also not in their life. And so they, uh, I definitely boot people into therapy fairly often. I can think of like three or four people that have at least had to go to therapy before I would keep seeing them. Miss Lollipop is an incredibly dynamic performer who has been active on My Free Cams for almost 10 years at this point. 
while she definitely has a serious side that she shares with her members when appropriate, she also often adopts the delightfully whimsical persona her name suggests. By doing a lot of silly, over-the-top things like singing members happy birthday with a dildo in her mouth, or putting on a bunny suit and completely destroying her cam room couch. I stabbed it and set it on fire and then ended up tipping it off a balcony. And the reason that I do those shows, like I, I try and make money off them as well. That's part of it. But if you're scrolling through a bunch of different cam models and there's, you know, they're looking pretty much the same. One of the thing, and then you see a girl standing in a bunny suit, stabbing a couch. <laughs> like you might not be aroused at that moment, but you'll remember my name. And then you might come back the next week and see something because you remember me and you're like, oh, I remember that girl. She was crazy. What's she doing now? And then this week I'm doing just a regular show and, and you're hooked, you know? Or you're taking a spaghetti bath. Or I'm taking a disgusting bath full of spaghetti. <laughs> that was the nastiest thing. She's done a lot of messy shows involving food. She's also ridden one of those Sibian sex toys on the roof of her house. And while camming during a trip to Arizona, she managed to squirt into the Grand Canyon. So jaw-dropping stunts are a big part of her brand and have played a huge role in helping her earn a six-figure annual income. There are a lot of different ways to approach this business. I interviewed six current cam models for this episode, all of whom are unique in how they approach camming. I also interviewed two men who've had their lives enriched by watching and interacting with cam models, one of whom we will hear from later. Welcome to episode 51 of Sex with Strangers, Sex with Cam Girls. As always, I'm your host, Chris Soa. In addition to hearing much more from Angelica V and Miss Lollipop, we will also be joined by Lily Miss Arab, Maya Bum, and Little Red Bunny, a.k.a. Ophelia Marcus. This is a packed show, so please stick around. Okay. Now let's get back to the topic at hand. Cam model Maya Bum is a self-described naked internet lady who likes to joke that the entire internet has seen her butthole. I fancy myself a sit-down comedian. A lot of my shows certainly involve an element of nudity and um, adult in the nature of my entertainment, but... I kind of just like shit talk and shoot the breeze with my audience a lot. And so that statement that the whole internet has seen my butthole is coming from a sarcastic place, but also it's true. So, you know, I'm okay with it. It's fine. To be fair, a huge chunk of the internet has also seen her breasts both before and after she got implants. Did you notice a big difference in how your fans interact with you sort of before and after the the boob job? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Getting a boob job was like not what I expected at all from my fans side of things. Um, I debated about it a long time because I was scared to do it. I have a very low tolerance for pain. 
So that was a big factor for me was, all right, well, this is going to kind of suck, but then it'll be worth it, right? And then I'll make so much money because everyone's going to want to see my big fake boobs. That didn't happen like that. I would not say that I personally experienced an influx of new people who were into this new physical aesthetic. I had a handful of people who were just like, nope, sorry about you. I'm not into this. See you never. And just like peaced out and I've never heard from them again. Um, And then, you know, my core crew of people who've been around or who have found me since then or whatever, they don't really like me for the boobs specifically. A lot of people are there for my personality, which is a little bit interesting. <laughs> like I put a lot into the way I look and they're like, I just like you for your personality. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. Um, I have some really, really loyal people who are just amazing. And they were like, whatever makes you happy, which is cool. What I got out of it ultimately was I didn't like how my boobs looked before. And now they look how I want them to look. And so my confidence is is a different on a different level now. So that's what I got out of it was a boost to my confidence and like just in general being more comfortable um, with the way I look naked, which is great. But it did not. I did not become a millionaire, in case you were wondering. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't happen. (laughs) It might sound strange that a significant portion of her audience seems more invested in her personality than her looks, but that dynamic is surprisingly common when it comes to the relationships that develop between cam models and their viewers. As we've already established, There are a variety of ways one can approach this industry, and Maya's career path demonstrates this point. I have been a lot of different types of performers. When I first started out, I did a lot of private shows and really took the time to connect in a sexual nature with my viewers. A lot of those people I still have coming around, and they're probably still the they're the only people that I'll still do privates with and stuff. Um, It takes a lot for viewers these days to connect with me in a sexual way because I've evolved into this like nude version of kind of not, I don't want to say a Twitch, you know what Twitch is. Obviously they don't let naked internet ladies on there, but um, you're like the ninja webcamming. Yeah, sure. That's fun. (laughs) Um, You know, these days I do very little sexual things um, publicly or live, so to speak. A lot of my more adult content is pre-recorded so they can tip for it as part of a club or like a la carte on my MFC share or joining my OnlyFans or whatever. And then my live time is spent just like girl next door with a sassy attitude, kind of just like companionship style. So that's kind of where I'm at with my live performances is um, it's a little bit less sexual in nature these days. And what motivated that shift? The lack of tipping for live things. When I was new, if I were to be naked and doing something sexual, live in my chat room for anyone to see just like my straight up public chat room I would have like 
1,200 viewers, 1,500 viewers, 2,500 viewers, kind of depended on the day of the week and the time of the day. And the average viewer would tip, like, in an appreciation sort of way. So, like, once a countdown was met for whatever it was, I could depend on the fact that as people were watching it live, they would throw some money at me. Um, that is absolutely not what's happening these days on on my free cams is where I've always cammed the most. And that first half of my answer was specific to my free cams. And now if I'm naked, shooting the breeze with my people, I'll have maybe 50 people in my room. If I were to do a come show these days live in my public chat room, which I don't do, I would maybe max out around 300 which is a huge shift. And so straight up, I'm just not going to do it. I can't count on, you know, the average passerbys to like throw some money at me as I'm doing something like that. So I am just foot down. I'm not going to do it for any less than a certain amount of money. So that kind of changed the viewership, changed how I do my live shows quite a lot and what I'm willing to do in public it, a lot of camming is an unknown. You know, you never know how much money you're going to make in any given scenario. And so back in the day, basically, I would I kind of had like a false sense of security that like if I do this thing, people will throw money at me. And now I know that that's not going to happen. So I just I just don't do it anymore. And have the pre-shot stuff and the other kind of social things and membership things people can subscribe to have they made up for that the income you've lost that was there at the beginning to an extent yes in the beginning I didn't make any pre-recorded content for quite a long time and I wasn't going to my fans will tell you they'll be like wow you have 200 videos on here now there was a day when you weren't gonna make any videos you know but the industry has shifted and now many cam models as well as adult performers outside of camming rely on selling clips and memberships to services like OnlyFans. Maya and Miss Lollipop are the only models I spoke with who have mostly cammed using the platform MyFreeCams.com. MFC is a freemium site, like Chatterbait, where there are a lot of explicit public shows that anyone can watch for free. And ideally, the models get paid throughout the show as people tip, assuming people actually tip, which, as we now know, isn't always the case. Miss Lollipop has experienced a similar decline among live viewers, though she thinks a higher percentage of her current audience is willing to tip than when she was performing for much bigger crowds. Miss Lollipop seems to earn a larger share of her income through live camming than Maya does, but she said selling clips and subscriptions generates enough to pay her mortgage. She also has more than 700 videos available for purchase, including, not surprisingly, some pretty outlandish ones. I had a member request a video of my cervix while I was coming. <laughs> and it isn't a particularly amazingly shot one. It was very difficult to film because I had to use a speculum and a Hitachi and my camera at the same time um, and, and get the lighting just right so that it was actually going onto my cervix. Um, so it was, it was tricky to film and I'd love to 
kind of redo it properly. Um, but that one has sold like crazy. Well, yeah, because where else can you see that? <laughs> I think it's just, but I don't think, I think some people are buying it because it turns them on, but I think a lot of people are buying it. I'd be really curious to know, but I think a lot of people are buying it because they're just curious. It's like, what does a cervix look like? Never seen a cervix. Well, the woman's coming. Like, that's weird. I think it's a curiosity thing that's, that's selling it, but that one's selling really well. Part of why the camming industry has evolved so much in the last few years is the shift from traditional desktop or laptop computer viewing to mobile viewing. In fact, Maya thinks more than 90% of her current audience are mobile viewers. Without that insight, we're just sitting there in front of our computer wondering why people aren't interacting with us. Well, they can't hear you, for one thing. They're not listening. They're actually sitting right next to their girlfriend and they have you muted. So that's a problem. That's like a whole reimagining of how you do everything in order to connect with that viewer, which I still don't have the answer to. And that's how these like subscription-based things have really taken off because now after his girlfriend goes to work in the morning and he has that hour and a half alone before he has to go to work in the morning, he can go and look at your OnlyFans on his own time, on his own accord, actually listen to the volume, you know, that sort of thing. And that's not a time when you're, you know, when you're live necessarily. Maya was working as a home health care aide when she saw a Craigslist ad claiming she could make $10,000 an hour as a cam model. Five and a half years later, she's still yet to have a single $10,000 hour, which stings a little bit. Can I just have one $10,000 hour? Then I can retire and be like, it was all worth it from like full circles perspective. <laughs> you just need to find that whale who really wants to make that dream come true. You know, I've had quote unquote whales over the years and they're interesting dudes. And I actually feel like that's kind of an offensive title. I have never referred okay. to It's okay. <laughs> you can call them that. Some of them love it. Some of them love That's what they are there for. They're there to be known for like, being the one guy that just has so much money and no one knows where it comes from. Gangsters. Um, <laughs> I mean, but I maybe. don't refer to them as that because I just feel like, yes, give me your money. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Um, I don't know. That's always been a weird thing for me is that title whale. What dollar amount sort of qualifies someone to, to count as that? I imagine it varies. That's a great question. Um, so I think that all tips are good tips, even though people who tip small amounts are never going to actually believe us when we say that, but it's true. All the tips add up. People are in general will follow the crowd. So if somebody tips like one token, even, which is like nothing, that's like five cents, um, someone else will tip one and someone else will tip 20 and then someone else will tip a hundred. And like that actually does add up. Um, a whale, someone who, in my opinion, someone who has the expendable income to spend like anywhere from like $75 or more every time I'm on. Um, that's definitely, I think, a significant entertainment budget. But I have in the past had people who tipped me like $5,000 in one tip. So that's obviously like, that's great. That's wild. They're getting bad. So you've, you know. 
You've had at least a $5,000 hour, it sounds like. I have. <laughs> I have. That was my biggest tip ever. Um, and I actually logged off and cried. Uh, that was my biggest month ever on MFC. I finished number 41. And I made like close to $30,000 in one month. And whenever I saw the first deposit, because the the pay is split into two payments, like the first half of the month, the first through the 15th, and then the 15th through the end of the month. Whenever I saw that like 12,000 something dollars hit my bank account, I didn't even know what to do with myself. Um, the year before I started camming and I worked my ass off, man, I did my taxes and I had been camming for a little bit. I did my taxes that first year where I had dabbled in camming, but I, my previous year was still like vanilla work. And I had made $18,000 the whole year. And then I had this like crazy moment of reflection whenever I saw that payout hit my bank account. Like I made in one pay period pretty damn close to what I made in an entire year before I started camming. And it's not always like that. And at this point in time, I do not have $12,000 in my bank account. So it's not a guarantee. It's not easy money. It's never going to be $12,000 all the time for everybody. Some girls are lucky, you know, and they make really good money really consistently. But wow, what a privilege that is. It was, it was a really powerful moment for me. Like I did this, but also I didn't, I almost felt guilty. Like I didn't do enough for this. What did I really do for this? And the answer is I made somebody happy. I made him happy and he was the type of person who had that kind of money to spend and he wanted to spend it on me because he liked seeing me smile. And that in and of itself is like all the stigma that people could throw at me, like sit down and shut the fuck up because you just don't even know. You just don't know. In October of 2015, a purported data breach at my free cams apparently exposed the monthly earning statistics for that site's top 250 highest monthly earners. With the number one model making $116,000 in one month. The next three made a little under 80K, again in a single month. While most of the top 250 seem to be in more of the 10 to 15K range. Now, it's widely accepted that the top earners on MFC no longer bring in quite that much, but some MFC models apparently still routinely earn north of the 30K. Maya brought home that one amazing month. And according to Miss Lollipop, MFC's highest earners tend to outperform the top cameras on most other platforms, but she also believes the site is set up in a way that fuels inequality and exacerbates the earnings gap between the top models and everyone else. Around 2012 or so, Miss Lollipop discovered that one of the best ways to make a lot of money camming was performing in public spaces. Most models that were doing it at the beginning, I would think were doing it carefully. So there's ways that you can make that kind of show seem like it's really risky when it's not. So I knew a model that um, 
her husband literally ran a restaurant. He, he owned a restaurant. So they would shut, when the restaurant was shut down, she would stream from a booth and they would play, she would play background noise so that it seemed like it was a full restaurant. And, you know, I had a standing relationship with my pizza guy, um, <laughs> things like that. So it was, I started doing those kinds of shows, uh, trying to do something different because it was interesting to me. I'm an exhibitionist, all those kinds of things. And then basically it made bank. It made, I could make double what I would make sitting at home at least. Um, and then, so I kept doing them because it was something that I got known for. And then a lot of models started jumping in on that. It became very, very common that most models or not, not, not most, maybe like, maybe like half or even like 30% to half of the models that you'd look at would be in a coffee shop or at work or in a library and all those kinds of things. And they would do shows there. And then people started making stupid decisions and people got arrested and <laughs> MFC shut it all down. Uh, there was a model that had two kids on, uh, she was broadcasting in a library where I guess there were children and a child ran into her, two children came into her camera feed and instead of killing it immediately, she covered herself and turned around and tried to tell them to leave. Uh, and their faces were broadcast for several minutes on my free cams and, um, right around that period. And then there was another model that got arrested for masturbating in a student library. Um, right around that period, MFC said that you can't do any public shows. And now if, even if you want to cam from like your backyard, say you're supposed to technically send them pictures of your fence line to show that it's a private space that you're in. Luckily, she never got arrested performing in public, but there was one show that definitely could have ended that way. So the one really stupid show that I ever did that I, I really should not have done, um, I was drinking. So that, you know, this was years and years ago was um, me and a friend decided that we would, we were in Vegas and we would go and cam on the strip. So we went to the MGM Grand and we didn't think about the fact that they don't really want you walking around with cameras and a laptop in the casino anyway. Like aside from doing anything naughty, they're not going to let you do that. Um, so we were like, just trying to flash and do things like that. And I was honestly too intoxicated to realize that I was putting people that should not have been in the background in the background. Um, not a whole lot, but like, it was, it was a dumb thing to do in general. And, uh, the security shut us down and kicked us out. <laughs> we were escorted off the premises. <laughs> and, uh, that was, that was my big dumb mistake. And that was a learning experience too. That was like at the beginning when I was starting to do public shows. And that was when I was like, oh, this is stupid. I need to wise up. Miss Lollipop grew up in New Zealand, but is currently based in Florida. Camming is, of course, global. So I reached out to a number of models working outside of the U.S. Most of them spoke English as a second, third, or even fourth language, and were not comfortable with the idea of being interviewed in English. But Lily Miss Arab was one exception. Lily was born in Lebanon, but grew up in the Netherlands and currently lives in Portugal. She was studying to become a lawyer in the Netherlands when a friend told her about webcamming back in 2012. 
I knew from very young age that I was a I had a very wild sexual fantasies. <laughs> so she told me about it and I was blown away. I was like, wow, you can have complete freedom. You do your work whenever you like. You make your own schedule. You do your own shows. And it was this very naughty, exciting thing that I wanted to try. And... Um, at the time, I was also um, doing pro bono work for families who um, were struggling with money. And then one day, uh, we had this seminar for prominent lawyers, and they were talking about um, the kind of hours and work you have to put in. And the whole reason why I wanted to, to become a lawyer was to fight for the innocent and... Um, I found out that day that that's not how it works. <laughs> so it was it was already like for many years very disappointing to me to hear what kind of work involved the thing that I want to do. And then I found out about webcaming and I am a creative person and I love to do this and I'm going to stick with webcaming. And I was first very shy. I didn't want to show my face. And... These people started to log in and try to talk to me and asking me questions to get to know me. And I was trying to get to know them. And I completely did not expect it because you think that um, that webcaming is only about sex, but they really tried to get to know me. I found out that I'm a very good with teasing. I only webcamed one hour that day and I, I earned like so much that I was like, Wow, this is amazing. Do you remember how much yeah. you made that first hour? I think it was uh, 50 euros or something. I don't know how much it is in dollars. Right, right. But, you know, 50 euros is a, is a good amount of money. Yeah, it was a good amount of money. And, you know, Chris, it's amazing that you not only you're having fun, you're bringing joy to other people. That's something that is also part of me. I like to make people happy. And I know when I am happy, I can make everybody happy. So it, it was a win-win situation for me. So I kept doing it. I imagine you felt sexy and powerful as well. Yes, you feel very sexy. You feel in control. Yeah, you feel powerful. You I didn't choose my name to be like a, a dominant character, but I, I chose it because Lily was a um, character that I always chose in a, in a game and Miss Arab I was like okay I have Arab background so I would put Arab and I was like okay Miss sounds fun too so I put like Miss Arab and I start having um, submissive men logging in and and they're calling me hey Miss can you please do this uh, can you please can I have like a domination session and then one day I asked one of them like Why, um, how do you know that I am, I have like a dominant side because I, I, I love to dominate also. And he said, yeah, because you called yourself miss, I didn't do it <laughs> on purpose, but it was perfect. It's similar to mistress. Exactly. So it was a lot of fun because also I have a lot of, um, Uh, people who visit me only for um, domination sessions, and I love doing that. Via webcam, what does a domination session look like? 
Um, I always ask my uh, visitors to turn on their webcams so I can see if they're following my orders right. There are different kind of uh, dominations. So you have to know um, what kind of submissive person you have on the other side. So that's why I like to get to know the people before I start to do a session with them. Is there one type of domination you prefer to the other? No, I love them all. The only thing that I really like always to know exactly what kind of domination the other person is into so I can make them tick. <laughs> That's uh, for me the fun part. By the way, I have also um, a lot of people who love domination in Arabic. Um, so I use that in my videos as well. Because not many models or porn actresses speak Arabic in their videos. So I, I use it for my videos mostly. And the people who want to be dominated in Arabic, are they people who speak Arabic? Or yes. it's not people just fetishizing the language? Um, there are some. <laughs> there are some. I have to say, but it's funny, then I have to say some sentences, some sentences in Arabic and then I have to translate in English. So it's like... A, Twice as long. But it takes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it takes the uh, session to another level of um, horniness. <laughs> Let's say horniness. I don't know if that word ex exists, but it's like extra horny. Let's say extra horny, yes. Which is interesting. I don't think most people associate the Arabic language with extra horniness, but that's your experience. <laughs> yes, some of them really, uh, really love that. You have at least one video where you're wearing a hijab and sort of dressed in that yes. way. What kind of reactions have you gotten to that video? Um, well, I got a lot of requests for uh, uh, wearing a hijab. And um, so I was, somebody bought it for me from Amazon. So I was like, okay, that's very interesting. I will, uh, people love it. Absolutely love those, uh, love the outfit, love the hijab and the sexy talking in Arabic. They really love it. So I had very, very positive reactions to that. So I actually made this week another video with me with a hijab and uh, it's actually the title is uh, Peeping Tom. So I, was, I came up with the idea that somebody was watching me from behind the window and I was getting uh, putting on the hijab and then I, I just used him for sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I made this video actually a couple of days ago. So it's, I think I uploaded it yesterday. Yeah. And people loved it. So, Did you uh, grow up Muslim? There are three things I don't tell people is um, what kind of religion I, do, I have and uh, my personal beliefs. So that, uh, That's off limits. that part I will not, yeah. Um, I, I grew up in Arabic um, uh, community, so I, I had I had a strict um, upbringing. Let's say that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and 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 sex was also not very uh, absolutely actually forbidden thing to talk about. <laughs> so yeah, it was very strict. And so, 
in, in a lot of ways, what you do now is a huge rebellion from sort of your upbringing. Yes, yes, huge. <laughs> yes, it's like the opposite. But I think this is, this is um, the first time in my life that I'm so comfortable. I know for some people it sounds crazy, but it, I am so comfortable in what, I, in what I do. Every day I can explore new things, learn new things. I, since, as I said, since a year, I, I started also editing my own uh, content. So I'm learning something completely new. I also took classes for uh, editing and I am learning about how you shoot videos, um, how you light the room. I know that for some people it's very um, uncomfortable subject, but for me it's very liberating. And yeah, I feel very strong in what I do and comfortable. <laughs> So I'm going to keep doing what I do and what I love to do. Most of the people I spoke with for this episode are like Lily in that they take a very hands-on approach when it comes to all of the content they put out into the world, which can be incredibly time-consuming. I work seven days a week for as long as I can remember now. I am in contact with people at all hours of the day. The first thing I do when I wake up is I check my phone and all of my platforms. And the last thing I do before I go to bed is I check all of my platforms. I'm responding to countless people all throughout the day, all who want different things from me. And it's absolutely exhausting. Again, I love my job, but it is not for everyone. That is a level of demand that people can never keep up with. And I wear all the hats. I'm my own makeup and wardrobe and tech and lighting and camera person. Do you know how hard it is to put something in your butthole and film it at the same time and get the angle with the right makeup on and the right lighting and then to take that footage and put it into Final Cut Pro and edit it into something that people are then going to watch? Like the list of hats that I wear is endless and it's exhausting, but it's I wouldn't trade it. I really wouldn't. Miss Lollipop keeps similar hours, and Little Red Bunny, whom we will hear from a little later, mentioned it's not uncommon for her to spend 80 or more hours a week live on cam, which is mind-blowing to me, and at least part of the reason I imagine BuzzFeed once declared her the queen of cam girls. The person who seems to dedicate the least amount of time to this job is Angelica V, whom we heard from at the top of the show. And that's by design. She loves that camming affords her a lot of free time, which is why she doesn't offer any subscriptions or interact with her audience much at all outside of her cam shows, which she says probably average around 15 hours a week. She believes her relative unavailability has made her audience more eager to pay her for private shows whenever she does make herself available. So when she's working, she's usually making real money, which probably isn't the case for most cam models. And sure, making a living working 15 hours a week from home is a pretty sweet deal, but given the hardcore nature of her shows, it's difficult to imagine it would be physically possible for her to cam 80 hours in a week. 
We heard Lily talk about attracting a lot of submissive men. That is very common among the women I interviewed for this show. Miss Lollipop even has a cage in the background of her cam room. In addition to dominating viewers, Miss Lollipop will also put on a collar or wear a ball gag when people tip to see that. Another thing she's known for is putting hot sauce on her clit. And while most people might not associate using hot sauce to season one's nether regions with BDSM, it makes total sense as an act of masochism. In fact, the appeal of pain within a BDSM context is often compared to the joy people get from eating hot peppers or other foods that hurt, but in a good way. Another way that I've often talked about it with people, especially with things like um, scary things or humiliation related things, is that you go to horror movies because you expect to be scared. You want to be scared. You pay money to be scared. Right. And we we consider that a, a negative emotion, but it's exhilarating. Exactly. So um, hot sauce is the same, but um, a little note on hot sauce, if anyone is listening to this, don't ever put it internally because it has sugar in it. You have to make sure that it can't get in your in your junk at all. So be and you have to be really careful with that kind of stuff. It's not something that I just suggest people go and do. <laughs> I have zero temptation to put hot sauce on my dick. <laughs> Come on. Not even for a dominatrix. <laughs> nope. <laughs> hot sauce doesn't actually hurt a penis as much as it'll hurt a clit but um i learned that i like that kind of sensation because i accidentally got pepper spray in my vagina one time how did that happen (laughs) um i got pepper sprayed at work when i was a animal control officer i got i got exposed to a dog that had been pepper sprayed and that was my first experience and it was awful and then I, you know, washed off, did the milk showers, the whole thing. It was terrible. Later in the day, I went home and I was masturbating and your fingers have quite thick skin. So I didn't realize that there was still trace amounts on there. And I just, and you know, pepper spray is just really strong, I guess. And so all of a sudden I was burning. But in a way that was kind of fun. I, I panicked at first and then I Googled what would happen and realized it was going to be completely harmless. And, and then, yeah, but I also think because it was so little, it was just a trace amount that it was a bearable amount. I would never, ever spray pepper spray directly on my vagina ever. I want to say someone was telling me about some YouTube star having pepper spray sprayed up their butt. God, oh, I've done ginger. Is a, it's a practice called figging and it'll burn your butthole. And basically you make a butt plug out of a ginger piece of ginger root. And then you stick it up there. And I charged 100,000 tokens for it, which is an insane amount of tokens. And and we we worked on it. It was like a countdown that we ran through the month. So I, I did other things during the month for it. I didn't just expect someone to tip it. But it was like a goal that we we accomplished at the end of the month. It would cost you $10,000 to purchase 100,000 tokens on my free cams, but the model you tip those tokens would get a 50% cut, meaning $5,000. Different sites approach this differently. One thing Miss Lollipop has observed over the years is that as far as she can tell, most aspiring models last less than two weeks. There are a number of reasons for that, including some we've already gotten into. 
like the amount of emotional labor camming often requires. It also can be quite chaotic. I might be online and one of my regulars is DMing me or PMing me on the site, so a private message that's popping up and telling me that his mother died today. Um, and I've asked my room not to share that kind of stuff in the main chat room, but, the, you know, I tell them that they can come and tell me stuff if they need to. So I'm reading some really bad news. And at the same time, somebody is is tipping me to juggle my boobs, which is like a thing that I do on cam is like a stupid trick. <laughs> so I have to maintain this very happy persona, but I also need to make sure that I'm spending time making sure that the person that's going through the really bad day is, is hearing that. And then meanwhile, I've got four different PMs coming in from people. One guy's asking for a Skype show. One guy's a time waster. One guy's just typing whatever the fuck dirty talk is coming into his head, you know, and, and I have to kind of ignore those or decide to block them or whatever. Um, and, you know, I'll have 20 PMs open at any given time. <laughs> So it can be kind of chaotic and some models set boundaries around that. They'll say, don't PM me or like, I'll only have friends only or whatever, but you kind of have to try it before you can figure out where those boundaries are. Miss Lollipop says there are a lot of new models who jump in without doing any research whatsoever. So in addition to not really knowing what the job entails, they are also pretty naive and susceptible to scammers. On the other end of the spectrum, She's encountered those who spend three or four years researching the industry and buy a bunch of expensive equipment only to find out that it's not for them. And on top of that, they've wasted a ton of time and money. Angelica V recommends a third approach that's somewhere between those two extremes. She spent four months researching the industry before starting which helped her figure out her brand and overall strategy for building an audience, which focused heavily on capitalizing on her first week when most platforms shine a spotlight on new models. This research period also allowed her to emotionally prepare herself for some of the downsides, like the fact that when it comes to the internet, there is no such thing as privacy. In fact, websites have emerged for the expressed purpose of using facial recognition technology to target the identities of people in the adult entertainment industry. There are more and more sites popping up that are basically meant to hurt sex workers that uh, will like scan videos and like try to find like and try to like scan someone's face. And then compare that to everything else that's available on the internet, which... So, so like, if you if you have a friend and you're like, I want to know if this friend is doing naughty things, then you send in their face. Right. And they'll and scan the internet and say, oh, yeah, they're, they're on 13 videos on XTube or something like that. Yeah, and vice versa. Like, if you have, like, public images of yourself available and you cam... They'll find your Facebook. Yeah, someone's going to be that determined, which is just a risk you have to take. Like, Has that happened with you? I haven't had someone find my Facebook through my cam. Um, I've had plenty of people from real life find my cam. I don't know if it's from imaging but like yeah that's something i'm vulnerable to if someone has a picture of me which... and, it, and how do you feel about that like you knew about I'm... that going in right yeah so... like that's one of the things i prepared myself for and like like i said i've always lived an alternative lifestyle 
And for me, I've just like when becoming going, becoming a sex worker and one that has a pretty big amount of exposure now, like it's just something I've learned to lean into. Like, yeah, I have this alternative lifestyle. I stand by it. I am okay with it. I don't have it. I don't see anything morally wrong with it. So if people find out, that's fine. Like you just have to be okay with that because they will find out and they will talk to you about it and they will try to freak you out. And like anyone I know can just find me naked and interact with my sex work persona without me knowing it's them or do shows with me without knowing it's them, which- And do you think that's happened with like, you know, old high school classmates and Mm -hmm. randos, (laughs) ex-boyfriends, just anyone? Oh boy, yeah. So like, so this is- pretty commonly known but like most sex workers will have a fake birthday that's slightly off from their real birthday because in camming it's a big deal to do a birthday show and like do a camathon and like get all these birthday gifts but you also don't want to do that on your real birthday so it's typically similar but off like mine is similar but off and I had an ex-boyfriend wish me a happy birthday on my fake birthday. Then when my real birthday happened, I got another a follow-up message that was, oh shit, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was like, <sighs> Returning to facial recognition tech for a minute, Miss Lollipop brought up the fact that there's nothing to stop employers from using it to weed out applicants with adult entertainment experience, which is scary, especially considering the level of employment discrimination current and former sex workers have long faced, particularly here in the U.S. And I mean, we don't even have legislation in place for that kind of thing yet in terms of like, is it legal for an employer that is looking to hire somebody to run facial recognition to check if they've ever been in porn. I don't think there's any laws on the books about that at all. Another thing any aspiring cam model should know is that when you're performing, particularly in public shows, you're likely being recorded. And those recordings are gonna end up online, including on sites based in countries that do not recognize copyright claims. So, whether you cammed for one day or 100 years, there's likely evidence of your exploits out there that can be weaponized against you. For example, there's a, there's a facial recognition service that is free to use and that I can go on and I can put a picture of myself that I have never, ever posted on anything to do with my porn accounts. I can put it in there and it will pull up just hundreds and hundreds of videos and pictures of me in porn. Um, But one thing I did notice is that if I put a picture in with glasses, it will only return porn where I'm wearing my glasses. And if I put a picture in of myself without glasses, it will only return porn where I'm not wearing glasses. So the technology isn't exactly foolproof, but it's only going to get better. I tried looking myself up on one of these sites and discovered that, at least for now, they only seem to work for female performers, which is interesting. I could be wrong, but my impression is that men in the industry do not have to contend with this right now. That said, it's only a matter of time. I don't bring this up to discourage anyone from pursuing this job. All of the cam models I spoke with believe the pros of camming outweigh the cons. 
but I think most of us would agree that it's a plus to have a realistic view of the potential pros and cons before entering any career or industry. Being an adult performer can also limit a person's dating prospects. Two of the models mentioned getting recognized on dating apps, so they no longer feel comfortable with online dating for obvious reasons. Maya Bum was married when she began camming, so the stigma she experienced when she re-entered the dating pool recently took her by surprise. I've gone through recently something where, like, I met a person that I really liked, and he was, like, not cool with what I do. It was, like, a really weird thing for me to meet someone who didn't understand what I do and judge me for it and want me to change for, like, can you imagine that? Like, wanting to have someone completely change something that they love so much and they are successful at for you. Men, the audacity. And I had to come to terms with that, like, I love myself and my job more than I could ever give love to that person. And wow, what an experience that was. The first man I interviewed for this episode is a webcam viewer named David, who has been active in this world since 2007. He agreed with Miss Lollipop's assessment that most new cam models keep this job for less than two weeks. And David believes online trolls play a huge role in creating this dynamic. You can receive a great deal of abuse from members. There are members that are just flat out complete douchebags. And I... I do not know how some of the models are so tolerant of it. I've seen models reduced to complete hysterical tears from being just relentlessly, cruelly attacked by a member over and over again about very personal things, sometimes things they found out with the model in private. Miss Lollipop has dealt with more than her fair share of trolls, and while most of them have not succeeded in actually hurting her, there have been at least a couple of exceptions. There was one time when my dog died. That was the only time that I remember a troll that I could see was a troll. I understood was a troll, but really just got under my skin because he chose a moment when I was uh, dealing with really unexpected grief to go bonkers on me on Twitter um, and sort of said that I probably did it to her myself and that I was only looking for money. I I hadn't posted anything about needing money, even though I just put everything on a credit card because my dog was dying. Um, you know, and, and that the the dog was probably better off and that, you know, all these just horrible things when I was like, I, she had just died and I was beside myself with grief. And that, that, that one stuck, like that one really, really hurt. As far as like body image trolls and things, those are really common and I've seen them hurt my friends. I have really thick skin about that. So it doesn't really hurt me that much, especially when I'm getting paid. So somebody will tip, say, you know, 500 tokens, 50 bucks. And then somebody at the same time is like, geez, you're a fat cow. Well, I'm clearly still making money. So like, whatever, doesn't really bother me. Um, but I, I have seen that definitely affect other people. So you have to have very thick skin about your body image and your how you look because they, they will go after anything and everything. She stressed that the vast majority of viewers she interacts with are perfectly lovely people. 
but she has dealt with perhaps six or seven truly serious, malicious trolls over the past decade or so, including one particularly despicable one. One of the guys that I was talking about went after multiple models at the same time. And um, he, one of those models had to move uh, countries, I believe, to get away from him because he was blackmailing through her family's business. Like, it was pretty serious stuff. <laughs> and I believe he's, he's still causing problems for her. This person was, yeah, when I'm talking about this person, I'm talking about one of the worst human beings I've ever come across. That's... He's legitimately a very scary person. The term sociopath gets thrown around like anything, and I, I think he's probably the only one I've ever met because he could be, he would be, he would make you believe he cared about you, you know, one minute and then cold the next. And then just, he was, it was, he was, I've just never run into another person like him. He had a fetish where he wanted a custom outfit made for you. And the way that he he would send you to a custom store that did these um, these outfits, and that's how he got my information. He had he either had some kind of relationship with the owner. He was the owner, maybe it was a woman, but I don't understand. Or maybe he I don't know if he was blackmailing her, but it was through that that he got the information. It was through an online store that he had access to somehow. He, he was definitely very smart but in terrible ways. Yeah, yeah, he's an awful person. <laughs> he didn't get as much information on me because I gave a PO box. Um, he didn't have my home address, which was helpful, but he dropped my real name along with my model name all over the internet on forums, foreign language forums, just everywhere. So if you Googled my, and he, the way that he did it, he used um, SEO, which is like search engine optimization. So if you Googled my model name, my real name popped up. That's a problem. Yeah, that that's a problem because then you can find me very easily. Um, and I know he had a lot more information on other people too. So, you know, I was I kind of got away lucky on that. We've talked a lot about stigma against sex workers on this show. The stigma is real and it endangers sex workers of all stripes in a variety of ways, including by othering them, which makes them targets for discrimination, harassment, and violence, while at the same time discouraging law enforcement from taking them seriously and providing them with equal protection under the law. You know, people die. People get murdered. People, you know, bad things happen to people a lot, and sex workers in particular. And when you do go to the cops with this kind of stuff, they do not care. Has that been your experience? Yes. When I made the police report about the guy that was doxing me all over the internet, I didn't expect them to open an investigation. I understood that he was in a different state, but I did have personal information on him. And I wanted, because I knew he was targeting so many different models, I wanted a record that this person was harassing me in this way. And I wanted it on paper and I wanted, you know, I wanted it to be recorded, which was why I, f I filed the police report. And uh, the police officer that they sent, um, basically said to me, um, you know, if you don't like things like this happening, maybe you should consider another choice of work. Wow. That was, that was pretty much his exact words. She had a very different experience dealing with the police in New Zealand, where sex work, more specifically prostitution, is decriminalized. And the police are trained to treat sex workers of all stripes with respect. Imagine that. 
She had to call them about another troll who she believes was dealing with a mental health crisis and started making threats against her mother, who lives in New Zealand. The detective she spoke with in New Zealand was respectful and took the call seriously, which I think demonstrates how decriminalizing prostitution has the power to improve the lives of all sex workers across the industry. For more on that, listen to episode 34 of this very show. We've heard a great deal about awful and scary cam viewers, so let's shift to talking about the types of members who actually make this job enjoyable for models. Those folks definitely outnumber the others, and they consist of people like David, whom we heard from just a few minutes ago. He's 51 years old and has been a member of various camming platforms for about 13 years at this point. Prior to that, he was a customer of phone sex lines, which he thinks of as the evolutionary predecessor to camming. A large part of our discussion centered on just how powerful the allure of camming can be, because he was hooked right away. It's very difficult in social settings for many guys just to approach and talk to a beautiful woman. And in this case, it was very easy. And it felt very easy. And that that ease is intoxicating. It, it's very seductive. Not surprisingly, this medium is popular among people experiencing social isolation, which is something David has had to contend with recently. I'm more drawn to it now and that at this time because I'm, well, I'm permanently disabled now. I had in September my right leg removed below the knee. So going out and interacting with friends, at least for a time, is an impossibility for me. I'm having to, you know, still relearn to transfer to a wheelchair and get around in a wheelchair. Very limited at this point. So in a lot of ways, my friendly interaction, this is a great large part of it now. So there is there is some uh, potential there for genuine interaction. I think genuine social connection that, well, let's face it, we all want connection. So, so much, probably in the experience of your show and all the topics you've covered, that it comes down to so many times just connecting with other human beings. And that it's not always sexual. Camming has become less sexual for David over time. He only really follows one model right now, Little Red Bunny, a.k.a. Ophelia Marcus whom he has interacted with for perhaps seven years, give or take, at this point. He considers her a friend more than anything else. And he's also friends with some other members who frequent her room, including a few who are also battling serious health issues. I firmly believe that one of, as as much problems as there are with the internet and problems with the cam industry, that one of the bright spots in it are people that are in a situation where they are uh, not mobile and not able to socialize and get out as much. It gives you a, a feeling of like, oh, this is the club I can go to and sit down where everyone knows my name to, you know, throw in a cheers reference there, uh, showing how old I am. Uh, it gives you a feeling of community in some ways. It, I, I, I may sound a little blasphemous there, and I am a heretic. I do admit that. But it's almost sometimes like a church service where you go, you share music, and you share fellowship. Is it that much different? Well, only slightly. <laughs> and there is a great deal for it to offer in a positive way 
provided that you have the right attitude and realize, you know, whatever communication that she chooses to give to you, don't feel like she owes it to you. Don't, and this is true with any cam girl. Don't feel like the, the performer owes you something. Uh, when they do reach out to you, appreciate it, enjoy it, show them you appreciate it and enjoy it, and it tends to get reciprocated. You do have to strike a happy medium. You do have to keep a budget. You do have to be smart with what you do and do not and can and cannot spend. Uh, some models are more accepting of that than others. But if you approach it with the right attitude, there's a great deal of fulfillment from it, a great deal of feeling of community from it, a place where oh, I can go and relax and uh, let my hair down, so to speak, and and just enjoy myself. On the best of nights, that's that's the best it is. And I really felt that way prior to meeting Ophelia. David credits Camming, and more specifically his connection to Ophelia, with saving his life when he was at his lowest point health-wise. Overall, Camming is an important outlet for David that he sees as a positive force in his life. But Early on, his approach to it was much less healthy. Starting out, he mistook some of his interactions with models for genuine romantic connections. Luckily, both of those models disabused David of his misconceptions rather than taking advantage of them for financial gain. Because those types of love scams do sometimes happen. This came up during my conversation with Miss Lollipop because her current husband started out as a viewer. She's open about that with members, but stresses that she is the exception, not the rule. It's difficult to say what percentage of cam models marry their fans, but I'm pretty fucking confident it is a tiny, tiny percentage. David compared the experience he had falling for cam models with the romantic transference patients sometimes project onto therapists. That therapy analogy came up again and again in these conversations. And the person who talked the most about camming being about much more than sex and money is none other than David's friend, Ophelia, a.k.a. Little Red Bunny. I'm very joyful and cheerful, and I like to have a good time. And if people had a bad day... It's, to me, it's my mission to make their day at least end better. And I want to be the sunshine of their day, you know, and try to help them. They might not be able to forget what they're dealing with if they had a bad day or in a tough time in their life. But if I can at least make it fade a little bit, even just for the time they're hanging out with me, to me, which is not even a fi financial, to me is gratification. It means I had a purpose. I meant something. I meant, and I give something good at someone's life. And to me, it's an accomplishment and it's gratifying for me. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel like it's good I came online tonight because that guy was really having a good time and now he's feeling much better. And and people share that to me very often. Like, hey, I'm dealing with a certain illness or I'm really in a depression time of my life, or things going on, it's very rough right now, but at least I see you today, I just seen you smile, just changed my day, and you finally, you made me smile. I never thought I would smile today. And I hear that regularly, and that that is the thing that keeps me motivated to come back online every day. Ophelia had no experience in or real knowledge of sex work or the adult entertainment industry prior to logging on that first time as a cam model. 
She's also not an exhibitionist and was too shy to even show her face on camera at first. But the platform she chose to work through, Live Jasmine, is structured in a way that helped her adapt to the job, which she says she considers to be more of a lifestyle. Live Jasmine does not allow nudity or explicit content in free chat. So she's never performing live sex acts for a big crowd of gawkers. Anything like that happens within one-on-one private shows. Do you know how long your longest private has been? 19 hours. Oh my god. (laughs) With this and guy, 19 hours. 19 hours. That's amazing. (laughs) Yes. And it's funny because he still sees me. He's like, hey, do you know that we are in your Wikipedia? We are the longest private in Wikipedia because <laughs> I have a Wikipedia page and it it is written there. It's like, people must think that it's not true, but we know. We know it's true. I'm like, I'm sure I know, I know it's true. We did it. We lived through it. <laughs> and I still see him like it's what now, about eight years later, I still see him regularly. That's intense. 19 hours. Yes. 19 hours. Prices on Live Jasmine are a little more complicated than the MFC tokens we talked about earlier. But after crunching some numbers, it looks like an hour private show with Little Red Bunny would cost you about $339.20. Some of her private shows are very sexual, while others mostly consist of conversation. And she enjoys the mix of it all, especially since the audience for Camine is global, so she can immediately go from a private with someone at the end of a drunken night in New York to someone else having their morning tea in London to another person trying to make the most of their lunch break in Delhi, which makes Camine sound like a sexy voyage in the world's naughtiest time machine. Outside of private shows, Ophelia considers her room a party, where she's the half-naked host, chatting with guests, often while simultaneously balancing a cocktail on her lower back and dancing to her favorite music from the 1920s through the 60s. It's decorated with vintage furniture, paired with mood lighting, and it's just a very stylish, cool setup. Though, not everyone understood her aesthetic choices at first. People were coming in my room because I was a newbie. There are studios and models that were there way before me, and they would come in my room and laughing at me in my room as hidden guests, you know, so they're anonymous. And so you're still going to fail. Oh, with your old music and old laundry, you're like a granny. You just like attract old men and blah, blah, blah. And I was getting insulted and they were laughing at me until... Until she proved them all wrong. Not long after that, a few years after that, I did end up having all these awards. Like I'm up to 17 awards. I'm the first cam girl that actually won any awards, <laughs> you know, um, at the six awards in 2013. And then the very first ever AVN award dedicated for a cam girl. I won that one. She actually won her 18th award very recently at the 2020 cam awards in Portugal. 
Early on, Ophelia found herself bombarded by models and studios looking for advice and insights into her success. So she created Little Red Bunny Academy, where she offers coaching services to performers and studios looking to succeed in this industry. We will link to where you can learn more about the Academy in the show notes and at sexwithstrangershow.com. We will also link to her second annual State of the Webcam Industry Survey, which is also aimed at models and studio owners. It's completely anonymous and designed to generate data about the current state of the industry with the ultimate goal of improving said industry. So if you're a cam model or a studio owner, please check out the survey. We talked a bit about the results from the first year of the survey, but they're a little too preliminary to really get into. One of the things she's trying to do right now is diversify the respondents. The first year, they skewed the way this episode skews, actually, with mostly consisting of independent American-based models. There is this whole world of studio cam modeling that exists largely outside of the U.S. that we did not get into in this episode, but hopefully in a future episode can explore. I want to thank everyone who spoke with me for this episode, including three people we did not hear from. You still helped me bring this episode to fruition, and I appreciate you. Special thanks, as always, to Sean Payne and Luis DeMeo for all that you do, and to Ben Jordan, the Flashbulb, for our theme music. The only other thing I'd like to add before we go is that this episode is actually coming out right on our five-year anniversary of Sex with Strangers. So the show is celebrating its fifth birthday, which also happens to be my birthday. And so if you would like to give either of us a birthday gift, we would appreciate a review or rating on Apple Podcasts. We will be back as soon as we can. Thanks again for listening. Is he is he doing something? It's fine, I think. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna start he might start knocking things over, but we'll deal with that when it comes. Her grandfather has wandered into <laughs> the space and my um fucking goblin of cat <laughs> is terrorizing our interview. <laughs> So whenever I'm camming, this motherfucker will sit outside my door and just scream and yell for attention, which is usually um, kind of an issue because people will stop talking about how hot I am and start talking to me about my cat and being like, oh my God, won't you pet your cat? Do you ever pet that boy? I'm like, it's fine. I cuddled him for like three hours earlier. But um, recently I was doing a show with someone that was like a JOI. And they were like trying to come and my cat starts screaming in the background and it distracts him. And he's just like, I'm just like watching him jack up and he can't come because he's so distracted by this cat in the background. I got like five extra minutes because of him. I was like, okay. (laughs) So J-O-I, I, I, in my mind, I went to jack off interrogation, but I don't think that that's what it was. (laughs) I would love that. Uh, Jerk off instruction. Ah, that makes more sense. Mm.
So jerk off instructions are actually really hard for me because like I don't I don't like hand jobs. Like look at my arms. My arms are so weak. Like I have always avoided that at all costs. Like I won't do it. Like I'll be like have my mouth, have my pussy, have like anything you want. Just don't make me jack you off. <laughs> so I had to like figure out how how people with 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 penises like actually touch them. <laughs> Cuz like my first jerk off instruction I was like I don't know, I'll give you a blow job. <laughs> We've gotten a lot better at them since then. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could just find a friend who can sort of like that seems like a one-on-one kind of mm-hmm. in-person lesson that you get, and then you sort of impart that. God, wisdom. that sounds like a porn plot. That's a clip <laughs> I need to make now. And Jelka B learns how to do JOIs by jerking off whatever male talent. <laughs> right. I mean, I feel like, or like you know, I I don't know what the plot is. It could be the pizza guy. You know, mm-hmm. just like any dick will do. God, pizza guys go through so much <laughs> harassment. <laughs> Just trying to do their jobs. 